if you have your Bible, Hebrews 11 is where we'll be to start. Then we'll go to Genesis 37. But let's uh, pause and give thanks to God and let's pray. Lord, thank you for the morning. Thank you for another day. Thank you for the coolness of the breeze that we just feel. We know that the shifting, uh, changing seasons are upon us. And God, we thank you that you're the God of summer and the God of fall and the God of winter and the God of spring. And you set this world in motion. And it's, yes, broken, but you've given it to us. And you sent your son Jesus to save all of it. And here we are, we're your kids. And we've got bills and, and jobs and relational stuff and trying to figure out where we fit. And we are looking to you, Jesus, because no one has the words of life but you. And now, Jesus, by your very spirit given to us as the gift, the seal, the promise, the teacher, the comforter, the life giver, we now invite you to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Awaken us to your thinking and your feeling and your living so that we will not be the same old. But that Jesus, by being with you, will be transformed in your image day by day, we pray. Uh, in your name, amen. Amen. It's been a, a few crazy weeks here in America. I didn't even know where Charlottesville was until two weeks ago. And I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. I couldn't even tell you, and it wasn't that far away. And you have people in an uproar. Charlottesville is in the headlines every day. And you have protests and counter-protests and hellish behavior. And you have race, racism and you have division. You have white supremacy. And you have people disgusted with what's going on in the world, and rightfully so. And so I'm here to tell you that while we will always renounce evil in all of its forms we stand up against it, that the greatest thing that you and I can do, no matter what the headline, is to point people back to the way maker, Jesus. Because it's only Jesus who changes the heart and the mind, and only Jesus can change my attitude towards someone who's different. So there is a better way than racism and sexism and classism and every other ism out there in the world. There's a better way, and it's not our opinionated way, it's the way of Jesus. And so this is a great opportunity for us to not just denounce what's wrong, but to provide an alternative. And that is the way of Jesus. So it's so providential. We don't line up our messages in line with the headlines. But it just so happens that the life that we're going to look at in this series of people who are living by faith is probably the greatest other than Jesus example of how to live right in a world gone wrong. How can you and I be the people of God? How can you and I be the people of Jesus in a way that people are going to look and say, I want to be like him or her because there's something different. This is the life of Joseph, Joseph that we're going to investigate this morning. So what we've been doing, if you're new or just visiting, we have been looking at the lives of people in Hebrews 11, really because God gives us this chapter as an answer to a question, how to... How do God's people live in tough times? And when the pressure hits to be a Jesus follower, how do you live in a way that honors God? Hebrews 11, the writer gives us all of these people who've gone before us and honored Jesus in the way that they've lived, to put it in our language, they've honored God, and it's supposed to stimulate us. So what I want us to do is read the one line we get about Joseph together. It's on the screen, Hebrews 11 Verse 22, why don't we just say it out loud together. It's be help, it'll be helpful to speak the word of God. Ready? By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, 
spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. What, what is that all about? In other words, how do you and I live with the end in view? We, we've already seen from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now to Joseph, what the writer gives us is not all of their life. He gives us the end of their life. Living with the end in view. You're gonna, you've had a beginning, you have a middle, and you're going to have an end. How are you going to end? Are you going to end well? And we see that definitely in the life of Joseph. He ends thinking about the future generations, and he says to them, God is faithful to his promise. I believe it. I believe it to the point I'm going to be buried here in Egypt, but God has spoken about a land the land of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And somewhere in the future, God's going to fulfill his promise. I'm telling you kids, tell your grandkids, when God fulfills his promise, get my bones out of here. I want to rest in the land of promise. You want to talk about faith. Faith that goes beyond his lifetime. Goes beyond his generation. I want to be a person like that. Now we saw that all these people ended well. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph from last week, because we're going to pick up on, on the contrast between the family stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. But we saw last week, this is huge. Faith is a process. Abraham and the rest, they don't get it in one shot. They learn to hear God's voice. They learn to go God's way. And it happens over time. So the same could be said for you. God wants to draw close to you continually, and it's going to happen for the rest of your life. We also saw that faith is never perfect. We, we, we do go astray. Abraham gets it right sometimes. Isaac sometimes. Jacob sometimes. But interestingly enough, with Joseph, other than Jesus, you don't get a more perfect person. Other than Jesus. In Scripture, you see so much about Joseph's life that is right from his young years to his later years, he seems to go in the rhythm of God and follow God and honor God in all of his circumstances. He's the kind of guy in the class that makes you mad. You know, like, always has the right answer, always gets the great grades. But here's the beauty of it. If you look at his father, Jacob, and then Joseph, they have very different stories. But one later in life, Jacob, he's in his young years rebellious, but he turns around. Here's the good news. In Joseph, we see you could get it right early on. You don't have to waste years. You can hear God's voice, go God's way early as a young person and continue on. Now, there's so much to say. I'm going to narrow it down to two things this morning that I want us to see from the life of Joseph that could stimulate our faith. Based on the idea that, that faith is a process and it's never perfect, what does Joseph teach us about following the way of Jesus? Number one, write this down. There are going to be two this morning. Number one, faith involves Listening to God. Faith is about listening. God speaks. And so we say, I, I, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. That is the whole story of the scripture. God is speaking from Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, all throughout the line, to Noah, we saw earlier in the study, and to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, and then down to Moses and then to David and, for, and, and those generations after him to the 12 disciples, and to us. God is always speaking. So when you think about your faith, what is it? It's not just being activist and getting it right. It's about listening. So by faith, 
uh, Joseph, when the end was near, he speaks about the exodus from the, of the Israelites. He had heard what God said to Abraham. Not himself, but it was passed on to Isaac. Then it was passed on to Jacob, and then it was to him. God had been speaking to his family, and he had been listening. And because he listens well, he gives instructions to the future generation. So Joseph believes God's promise, just like you and I are called to believe God's promise. And, and here's the, the fun part of life. Faith is always about listening to God. Now, how does this happen for Joseph? Because when I say listen to God, it's going to be like, God doesn't speak to people, really. I mean, yeah, if he does, he doesn't speak to me. Well, let's just look at how it worked for Joseph and think about how it might work for you and me. So I said at Genesis 37, Genesis 37, turn there and we'll just start at the beginning. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Parents can have favorites, right? Which is so true. Because he had been born to him in his old age. He had a reason. He was born when he was older in life. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This just happens, right? You know, that's oh, just because you're mom's favorite, you know. So there's family tension. This is called normal life. That's just the way it is. Joseph, verse 5, had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, this is a great dream. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. This is what they did. When suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. This is very, very helpful for the younger brother to say, I had a dream and I was like in charge and you were bowing down to me. So his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? They got the dream, right? Will you actually rule us? Now, we're living in a day where there's a little more equality, but back here in this day is all about pecking order. And the youngest is the nobody. And the eldest is the everybody. Eldest has the right to everything. He's like a second dad. And so in this culture, for, for Joseph to imply that the older brothers are going to do anything kind for him is ridiculous. So do you, do you, intern, uh, you intend to rule over us? Uh, in ver verse 10, when he had told his father as well as his brothers, oh, no, sorry, let me just jump back to verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. It gets better, right? So two dreams about the same thing. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father, oh, this is so good, dad steps in. His father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? Well, your mother and I, so now it's just not just the brothers. Now it's mom and dad. And, and your brothers actually come and bow down the ground before you. And his, his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So God speaks here 
the reason we read the Bible so carefully is to see patterns of how God is working with real people. Here it's through some sort of dream. It does, it's not like God saying, they're going to bow down to you. He gives them these images, these pictures, and that happens all throughout the Bible. Peter, in Acts, later on, after the coming of Jesus, has a vision, has a dream, and he sees animals and a blanket, and it's symbolic, and the animals are coming down, and they're unclean animals in Jewish uh, ideology, and, and he gets an interpretation of the dream. So God is speaking all sorts of ways to all sorts of people. I just want us to see how God spoke to him. But look at verse 10 and 11 again, because I think we get a key. He told his fathers, his father rebuked him. In other words, even though God communicated something to him, which, by the way, this does come to pass. So don't like, this happens later on if you read Joseph's story. So the dream was God's giving him a hint. Um, but his brother, uh, his father does tell him, well, maybe you shouldn't go flapping your mouth about it right now. So it is possible, and this is, this is the one little thing you get about Joseph. He seems to be perfect, but it seems like he's speaking a little too quickly, maybe not thinking about context, right, and like what's going on around him. Other than that, he seems to live this perfect life. Father rebukes him, but then at the end of verse 11, his father was jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And I think that's what Scripture tells us about Jacob, which is super helpful. In other words, Jacob himself had heard from God over his lifetime, and so even though it sounded crazy, young one, Jacob knows the promise through his line, blessing is going to reach the world. Well, which one of his sons is God's blessing going to come through? You think the eldest, that's not always the case. Because Jacob's not the eldest. So in his own life, he'd seen God work in a different way. So now he looks at his sons, and now the, the young one, Joseph, saying, God, I think, is going to raise me up. So Jacob keeps the matter in mind. Sometimes we get a part of what God's doing. We don't understand it fully. What, what do we do? We keep it in mind. We write it down. We don't forget it. We think about it. We ask for wisdom. Now, if you read Scripture, you realize that God communicates to various people in, in different ways. So there are dreams like this. There are visions like, like Peter, similar to a dream, but they seem to be more awake. Prophecy. God communicates his will through people, through the prophets who've, who've written Scripture, and through prophecy. Since Scripture has been written, God communicates his will through people. And, and even on occasion, God writes on a wall, sort of the fingerprint of God, so that people see an inscription of something written that's from God himself. Now, that has all sorts of variety. We're wondering, well, well how is God going to speak to us now? Here's the good news. God has been communicating his, his way to people all throughout history. But now, Hebrews is written after Jesus. Hebrews 1, if you read all of Hebrews, is going to tell us that Jesus is the image of God. And Jesus is the greatest revelation. Not Moses, not anyone else. So if you have heard from Jesus, you know God's heart. You don't have to guess. So, so for us, how do we figure this out? Because it seems like weird or strange or ethereal or different. God has spoken to you and me most clearly through Jesus. So everything Jesus is and everything we see about him is exactly what we see about the heart and the nature of God. So how do I know what God is saying? 
Whereas the ancients before Jesus, it was a little bit harder for them to get completely what God is doing. For us, God has opened a window into his own soul, and he's given us his son. And God walked planet Earth. And so if you want to know what God's will is for your life, look at Jesus. And how do I know what Jesus did and who Jesus is? We are living in the best time of all of history. Why? Because God has chosen to work throughout time and he's chosen to inspire by the Spirit, the writers. So we have the written record. By the way, the end of the world we know about because God's told us about it. Everything we need to know up to the end of creation, how we live, what we do, what we avoid, what's life-giving, how to manage everything is here. Now, not everything for everything. In other words, if you're an engineer, there's some principles you can learn. If you're a biologist, there's some things you can learn. If you're an educator, there's some things you can learn. So this doesn't tell us everything about everything in the world, but it tells us about everything we need for the heart of God and how to live your life no matter what your relational connection is or your career choice or your age or your stage. You have the wisdom of God and the heart of God and the knowledge of God because God has given us his revelation. So for us, we ought to say, wow, thank you. I can hear through dream. I can hear through visions. I can hear through prophetic word. All of those things, you don't see them ending in Scripture. You don't see them ending in Christian experience. But can I just say to you, if you want to be able to discern if what happens is of God or something you ate for lunch, I would encourage you, Know the word of God. Here is why. God is consistent in what he says. So when I hear someone say, man, I'm not kidding. This has happened to me multiple times. I'll throw it as an example. You know, I just really feel like God has just released me from this relationship to their spouse that they're married to. But I feel like God has released me and now I, you know, and he's released me into this new relationship. And I feel like God has just freed me up to do that. So which I would say, Wow. Seems like God said, husbands, love your wives. Seems like God, through his own son Jesus, says that divorce does happen, and I'm not here to minimize it, I'm not here to point the finger, but that's not his heart. So you're flippantly telling me that God's kind of told you you're okay to do whatever you want, when God has clearly told me that relationships matter and covenant matters and commitment matters. I, I have to discern what you think is the will of God versus what I know is the will of God. So I just pointed that as one of 10,000 examples, visions, dreams, prophecy, all of these things that God is using, all of them. But let's dig our face into the book because when I know what God is like, I can discern what's of him and what is not of him. And believe me, some things that some people say about God are just untrue. They just are. And it's not because people are mean or bad. It's because they just don't know what God has said. And God does not contradict himself. Okay, I went on a rabbit trail, and I'm glad I did. Hopefully I'll remember to do it at 11 o'clock. There you go. All right. So we have the word of God. Now, maybe that's a helpful one, and I kid you not, everything I just said in the last five minutes, I am just started talking. But maybe that was for some of you. Maybe it was prophetic. Ooh, okay, I'll, go, I'll move on. But we could test all those thoughts. So I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful to my parents because my parents helped me. They were newer in their faith when I started following Jesus. They were newer. So we were growing in faith together. 
And they helped me because my parents never read the Bible. They had some sort of Christian leanings. My, my dad, Protestant, and my mom, Catholic. Leanings. They, they didn't know anything. But when they, when they came attuned to the heart of God and really encountered Jesus, they just read the Bible consistently. And I could hear my mom saying, man, God spoke to me this morning. And she'd point to the place where she was reading. So I'm grateful for parents that helped me to see that God is communicating. So God speaks to you every single day. So well, I don't hear his voice. If you pick up what God has said, you are hearing the heart of God. Even if you don't understand it, God is communicating truth to your mind and your soul if you're willing to listen to it. So I've learned over decades now, though, it, 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 it changes. Sometimes it's when I'm just reading the Bible. For most Mostly for me, it's mostly when I'm just reading the Bible and something, the font, goes from 10 point to 100. Not physically, but I'm like, whoa! Well, that's God's Holy Spirit taking what's true and making it true to my soul. And usually I feel convicted. <laughs> I don't know about you. Like, oh, I'm not living up to that. And I think that's the heart of God saying this is right and good and I want you to be this way and I'm going to get you there. But other times, it's been, it's been through an impression. I've been walking and praying, and a thought will come to mind. And I'll think about it some more, and I can't shake it. That, uh, sometimes it's through someone else. I've had people who've been speaking, and I'm like, that is God speaking to me. Like, I, I, that is not them. They don't, even know, they don't even know what they're saying. But this is the heart of God, because it's exactly what God has been teaching me. So it could be through reading a book. Sometimes it's out of the blue. It's rarely the, it's rarely the same, and you don't schedule it. At 10.32, hear from God. It just, it just Relationship doesn't work that way, does it? But if you want to grow in relationship with someone, what do you do? Spend time with them. When you spend time with them, usually that person conveys something, wow. But you don't know where, you don't know when it just happens. So I'd encourage you, spend time with God. Now, how does this happen for us? Because for many, everything I just said is like, what are you talking about, Jose? I was told, read the Bible and avoid everything else. Uh, what do you mean there's a Holy Spirit who speaks to his people? Here's the good news. I'm going to leave this part of Joseph's life. Because in Romans 12, when we get there in the fall, we're going to come back to it. And in Romans 12, written to Jesus following post-death, resurrection, ascension, Jesus followers, Paul teaches the church about how to hear from God through one another in Romans 12. So we'll get back to that um, later. All right. First thing was that what? Faith, what? Involves listening to God. Second thing, write it down. Faith requires faithfulness. Write it down. Faith requires faithfulness. If you read all of Joseph's life, which we won't do this morning. There is an eclipse tomorrow. Um, it's, it's long. Joseph is a huge part of the Genesis story, which is interesting. You get a little about the others, a lot about Joseph. And Joseph is one of those guys who I think is leading the trail. So when you see Jesus, Jesus in so many ways is like Joseph. Or I should say, Joseph is leading in the trail similar to Jesus. But faithful in our, what? What, what does it mean that we require faithfulness? Number one, faithful in our relationships. What faith is going to require is that you and I apply listening to God, right? 
understanding his will to the people that we're around. Genesis 37, if you read the whole thing, it tells a horrific story. Out of jealousy, now after these dreams, Joseph's brothers see him coming because dad says, go check on the boys. He goes and checks on the boys. And they're like, we should kill him. Which is, I mean, the sibling rivalry. And then there's like premeditated murder. And these, they're, they're serious. One of the brothers says, oh, throw him in a cistern. Like, throw him in a, in a pit in the ground, which is not very good. And then they're going to kill him. And they're like, oh, no, wait, don't kill him. Let's sell him. So at least the blood won't be on our hands. Let's sell him as a slave. This is what's going on in a very real, this, this is how God's going to bless the world. Through this family. Talk about dysfunction. But this is happening. So what do they do? They, they sell him off and then they say, they take his robe that, that his dad had given him and they cover it with blood and they do this huge scheme, no CSI. So like, you know, dad couldn't go and check out, hey, wait a minute, that's not his blood, that's an animal, nothing like that. They're like, he, he, he was killed by a wild animal and dad balls, doesn't eat, goes into a period of mourning and guess what? The, brother, the sons would have to go into mourning with him. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> what if dad finds out and they lie for years and years? Because he didn't die. But how does, how does Joseph respond to hateful brothers when uh, years later they end up, you know, Joseph's story, he rises up and keeps going higher, higher, higher. Now he's in Pharaoh in Egypt's house. There's going to be a famine. There's no food. And guess what? The family goes to Egypt to get food. Guess what? The boys, the brothers, end up in the presence of Joseph. I want you to read on the screen Joseph's response to his brothers. They're in there. It says, they did not realize, Genesis 42, that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So they come in the room and Joseph is speaking Egyptian, using a translator to get into their language. They don't realize this is their younger brother. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He's weeping over his family. He had the right to kill him on the spot. But something about Joseph. See, faith, faith in God leads to faithfulness in the way we treat people. And this is, this is a word for our day. This is a word for, like, America now. In in. In, in a world where there's all these competing, conflicting, horrible ways of seeing other human beings, we get to not just shout at the darkness, we get to shine the light and say, no, we don't treat people that way because of Jesus. We see people as valuable because of Jesus. We see everyone created in the image of God because of Jesus. Look at, look at Joseph's perspective on the hate. Remember, because a lot of the hate we see now is because of generations prior, right? Well, this, what's bubbling up is not just like now. It's hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression that's, that's now hit a tipping point. It's because of the way we interpret what's happened. Look at how Joseph interprets his life. Genesis 45, 3 to 7. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were scared snotless. They were terrified at his presence is what it says. They were scared to death. Like, what? Then Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. Shimmy. Like, you know, like, Ugh. no. <laughs> like, I wouldn't come close to him. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, 
Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. For the next five years, there's going to be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. You see, Joseph's faith in God is hearing and listening. He's able to interpret his circumstances in light of the will of God. And when you think about your life and my life in Jesus, this is where Jesus makes a huge difference. He can even take the horrific, and they are horrific, and evil, and they are evil, episodes of our lives. He could give us a window. They shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have thrown Joseph in the well. They shouldn't have sold him as a slave. It was all wrong. And we denounce evil. At the same time, he heard from God. And he knew that even in evil, God was going to bring about good. Doesn't make the evil less evil, but it does make his response like God. And if you want to see the difference that the church can make in the U.S. today, it's when we listen to Jesus and let Jesus' words come out of our lips and not just our political or sociological bent. It's when we speak the words of Jesus. So Joseph knows and follows God. So that's faith and relationships. Another dimension of Joseph's life is faithful in the workplace. Look at, look at Joseph's career. He's sold as a slave, right? He ends up in Egypt, but God is with him. So Joseph is faithful with his family, but he's also faithful with his work. Genesis 39, 2-4. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He didn't live in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Joseph goes from being sold out, doesn't know where he's going to end up, being sold, 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 finally ends up in the uh, official under Pharaoh, one of the chief officials, as a slave, but God's with him. He's faithful. You remember the story, this Potiphar's wife loves Joseph, is good looking, thinks he's great, and entices him, come sleep with me, come sleep with me, come sleep with me. And look at his response. Verse 9 of the same chapter. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knows what God is like. Now, the master's away, and as a slave, you really need to do whatever your master says. So the wife propositioning him, in one wicked sense, this is okay. But Joseph stands up and says, this is not okay. I follow God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And you know the story she finally grabs his jacket. He runs away to flee from sin. And she twists the story and says to Potiphar, this guy tried to rape me. I've got the evidence. And he ends up in jail. And in prison, Joseph is faithful. And the pattern happens. God gives him favor with the prison guards. In other words, wherever God puts you, you can live faithful. I want to go here, God. I want to do this. And God, I feel like you've spoken to me. I am... I'm like this sheaf that stands and everyone bows before me. God, 
You're going to do something great with my life. And he's saying to you, I've given you 20 bucks. Be faithful. I've given you two employees. Be faithful. I've given you this opportunity. Why don't you be faithful and forget about leading the universe? Be faithful. We also see that he's faithful through difficulty. The, the life of Joseph is a life of consistent trial. And it doesn't mean that following Jesus for us is going to lead to a pain-free life. Man, I'm following Jesus, but life is hard. Yeah, Joseph. And everyone else in the Bible. The people who follow God in Scripture don't live a pain-free life. They live a guided life in pain. And so God is with Joseph in the prison. And God is with Joseph when he's in the well. And God is with Joseph when he goes to Pharaoh's household. You see, he's faithful even when his brothers sell him out. He's faithful even when Potiphar's wife sells him out. He's faithful even when he's in prison. We didn't even touch on the episode. There's a baker and a cupbearer, and he, he's used of God to get him out of jail. And all he says is, yo, like, help me out. When I get you out of jail, help me out. Give Pharaoh a good word about me. They totally forget him. He's stuck for years in prison. And he's faithful, he's faithful and faithful. And when he's brought before Pharaoh, he's faithful to interpret dreams. When his brothers come before him, he's faithful to, to love them and receive them. When his dad comes, he's faithful to his family. And he provides and he protects and he cares. Faithful, faithful, faithful. This is what God is asking of us. And this, my friends, is the life of faith. Faith leads to faithfulness. And when we start following Jesus, it puts us on a path where, yeah, the old is gone and our other trends and our other track record, it's forgiven. Now we're given the opportunity to follow Jesus, go his way, and live faithful lives. So let's, let's recap. Let's go full circle back to Hebrews 11 and look at the statement about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. When we know what God has said, as we learn what God is like, we can choose to be faithful in the small and the big things of life. And that's the good news of Hebrews, and that's the good news for us today. Faithfulness. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not a sexy word in our culture. Faithfulness. You know, on a resume, I'm faithful. Like, you know, okay, you got to be kidding me. What's popular today is adventure. Adventure. Exploring. You know, we, we want whatever it will excite our imaginations. We want the new. We want the next. We want it now. We don't want to work hard. Everything it took our parents 50 years to scrap together, I deserve in a year. Why? I'm special. There's, there's not even an expectation in your brain that when you get out of school, you should work for 30 to 40 years and slowly, slowly be given more responsibility. Look, I got a degree. I have two degrees. I have three degrees. And I did an internship. And I volunteered. And I give blood. And, and I'm, I deserve it all now. This is what our culture is pushing. We're into disposable. We have disposable diapers, disposable cups, disposable bags. And disposable relationships and disposable jobs. Everything is what I want it to be and I want it now. And Jesus says, I want you to live faithful. What if we as a church, just us, forget about the rest of the human race. What if we just decided to buck the cultural trend 
and live lives that are faithful to God and faithful to the people that he's put us in front of. What if we took relationships that God put your way, and even though they're broken and it is hard and sometimes it's near impossible, but what if we ask God for grace to live faithful and honor God by caring for people instead of retaliating? What if we served faithfully in the workplace and didn't give our list of expectations or kept complaining and searching for the next best thing? Which, by the way, I'm going to give you a secret. The next best thing will last six months. And then you need the next best thing. What if we said, I'm going to be not lame, not mediocre, stellar, imaginative, excellent, trustworthy, above and beyond, faithful. Why? Because we follow Jesus. Not just because my boss expects it, but because I know God is watching. God is looking at my heart and he's wanting to elevate me if I am faithful. Now here's the good news. We have people in this community that are living that way. And I can go on and on and on and on. And, but I'm going to boast about someone that you don't see right now, literally. Uh, Lee and Shelly Albion. I don't know if Shelly's here. Uh, but Lee's on the other side of the wall. Literally on the other side of the wall. It's not because he doesn't like you. It's because that's where our screens, that's where the computer is. And and I've known Lee and Shelly for years. And they helped at Westside at the beginning to to start this whole movement. And when we started, they just have come in for the last five plus years, have never asked for a thing, even though they've been in great need. In their family, there's been severe medical issues in their home. And I, I never hear a complaint. But here's what I, I was talking to Lee and Shelly in the, in the hall afterwards. And on top of busy careers, both working, raising family, dealing with real long-term physical issues, Jose, what else can we do to help? I'm like, what else? You're here early. He's here before all of you. And they stay late and they go the extra mile. And I'm not trying to puff them up and say that they're perfect people because I'm sure I've never seen anything wrong, but I'm sure other than Jesus, we're all flawed, right? But what I see is consistent faithfulness. Why? They love you. They're not just being faithful to what God has given them and faithful to Jesus. They actually love you. And as leaders in this church, as a husband and wife in this church, they see you as a joy and a privilege to serve. They think you're worth it. And that, to me, is the essence of a life of faithfulness. Not perfect, but growing. So let me just ask you, what steps of faithfulness is God calling you to walk into? What, what practical steps? Here's what I want us to do as an exercise in faith. I want you to take your Bible and just put it to the side or use it. If you have something to write on, if not, you got a phone and you can use the note. Check the other apps. Jesus is watching. And so just open up something clean, a piece of paper, uh, a, a, a note, it's just something that's clean. And what we're going to do is right now, we're going to practice. We're going to live by faith. What steps is God calling you to take to, to live a faithful life? Um, do you know God wants to communicate lovingly practical things for you? So what we're going to do is, is Ryan's just going to play for a little bit, and we're going to give you a little space to listen. And listening is, is the key to the life of faith. Not just yapping, 
listening. So if there's something that you're struggling with, listen, God may have an answer for it. If you're like, I don't even know what God wants you to do. Let's just take a moment. It may help to close your eyes because I'm so visually distracted. If I see things, I, I'm the kind of kid that had to sit in the front row because if I saw the back of anyone's head, I'm, I'm a squirrel. So if, just close your eyes if you have to. Just take a couple of minutes. Say, Holy Spirit, what, out of Joseph's life, out of what I've heard, what step do I need to take? And all I'm going to ask you to do is write it down or, or type it in. And this week, as you pray, ask God to give you more on what that means. It may be a word now, maybe a thought, maybe like, like Joseph, a picture.